Happy Father's Day. Man, today we just properly say thank you, dads. And I get that there are all kinds of exceptions and examples of, of pain and possible regret, but it's important on a day like today to call out the men that do an outstanding job. So happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Thank you for leading well, for using your God-given place to speak with integrity, to instill confidence, to be gracious. So it would be important that none of us leave the opportunity we have today to say thank you to the dads or the men in our life that, that have done a great job. So thank you. Thank you and happy Father's Day. Today, as, as a church, we continue. We continue in our book-by-book plan through Scripture, and as we do that, we find ourselves in the summer in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is so practical, incredibly p- practical, that each time we walk through it, each weekend, I feel like at times the things written are even more practical today than when they were first written. So open your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 4. I want us to start in that spot and just listen to these words. Proverbs 4, 1 through 9 say this. Listen, sons, to a father's discipline and pay attention so that you may gain understanding. For I am giving you good instruction. Don't abandon my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender and precious to my mother, he taught me and said, your heart must hold on to my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Don't forget or turn away from the words from my mouth. Don't abandon wisdom. She will watch over you. Love her and she will guard you. Wisdom is supreme, so get wisdom. And whatever else you get, get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. If you embrace her, she will honor you. She will place a garland of favor on your head. She will give you a crown of beauty. Wow, couldn't... Couldn't we use wisdom right now? I mean, as a culture, they have the kind of insight that sees evil, that calls it out, that brings a lasting change. We could use a lot of wisdom. I mean, what, what do I say to my neighbors? What, what do I say online? What do I post? These type of questions run through our heads. I need wisdom. Our world is looking for the kind of wisdom and insight to provide answers to complicated questions. How do we hold police officers accountable? How? How do we make right some of the wrongs from our past that have ongoing consequences? What deeply embedded social structures need to be torn down and rebuilt? How? How does the love of Jesus actually impact us in such a way that it brings solutions into the space we live? We need this desperately, and so we need wisdom. These questions should make it obvious that we are all in need of wisdom. And wisdom is drawn from the beginning of this book of Proverbs, as it says in Proverbs 1-7, from the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning. That's the beginning. That's the starting point. And so that's what the interpretive lessons we've been using to work through our passages in Proverbs. It'll continue today. This sets our context, the knowledge, the insight, the understanding, the wisdom that we want starts with a fear of the Lord. So what's the wise thing to do? We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 4 and begin to answer the question of how do we pursue wisdom that actually impacts the culture around us? And we're going to see it kind of move in a couple different ways. Wisdom is external. It's not inside of us. We don't peel back the layers of our heart and find wisdom and unleash it. But instead, this Proverbs is going to make it very clear that wisdom is outside of us. We don't just 
intuit what's right. It's generational, it's external. We're also gonna see later in the verses how wisdom is a lifelong pursuit. There's no shortcuts. You don't just arrive and be declared wise. (laughs) It doesn't happen that way. And then finally, with that lifelong pursuit, wisdom then ultimately in this passage is personified and then honors those who pursue her. And so let's go back, get back in the details of Proverbs chapter four. Look at verse one. Proverbs four, verse one says, listen, sons, to a father's discipline and pay attention so that you may gain understanding. Gain understanding. Understanding is a, is a virtue there that's, that's listed, that's comparable to wisdom. It refers to that ability to rightly discern, to take a complicated issue with complex nuances and cut right through the center with clarity. That's an understanding. That's a wisdom. It's not the, oh, I get it, random kind of factoid digestion, but instead it's actually being able to make choices that cut through complicated times. And we could all use that right now. There's a lot of complicated questions in our culture. And so we're told to pursue wisdom. And the first assumption that that pops up in these four verses is that is right in front of us is that wisdom is gained. It's external. I talked about that. It needs to be passed down. It needs to be gained. It's it's more than just something we become, but it's a skill that we learn. It's more than just a result of time. And as you get older, you don't just automatically get wiser. I mean, let, let that sink in. I feel that goes without saying, but let the biblical truth of that sink in. Passing time does not equate wisdom. Just because you're older doesn't mean you're wiser. Psalm 119.99 says that very point. Your word gives me wisdom beyond my teachers. And so go back and, go back and look at the passage again in verse 1. It says, pay attention so that you may gain understanding. There's active attention that you're having to pay and there's somebody that's pouring into you. So there's two sides to this. It's outside of yourself. You need to gain it. So whose, whose words are we listening to? Where does this wisdom come from? I mean, the context here is talking about dads with sons, but in the broader context here, absolutely, it's the, the dad, it's the mother who sees as precious this young child. It starts at a young age. It's grandparents. Notice, notice in this passage here, the description isn't of a classroom where there's lectures, but instead it's more of a family environment. Parents were expected to show concern. They had the intimacy, the authority over their kids that gave this lifelong learning a bed to just live in and be healthy and grow. And this was true that not just in Proverbs, but as you expand out into Deuteronomy in that culture at that time that extends to today. As Deuteronomy put it in relation to God's command, listen to these verses in Deuteronomy 6. It says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. Parenting includes the responsibility of exercising a sort of authority over your kids that allows there to be growth. It's not a domineering in a way that stifles, but instead it invites exploration. It invites failure and trying, and it invites guidance, correction. And this is what's to happen. This is how we get wisdom. This is how we get insight and we grow and learn. It's active. It's not an authority that stifles again, but it brings that to life what's there. And so in verse three, back in our passage in Proverbs, the father appropriately introduces kind of these personal life lessons he's just about to pass on 
in the context of his own grandpa that, or his own dad that passes it down. So from grandpa to dad to son. And these passages, I think, just show us how the family becomes ideally one of the healthiest places to have that kind of wisdom passed on because of the love that is to be there for your kids. So picture, so picture the scene. It's a dad speaking with his son, pulling on his grandpa's wisdom as he passes things on to him. And oftentimes, this is where we go, yeah, 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 that's, that's great. And then we move on, but we don't really know, how does that relate to me now? What, what does that look like in my life today? So what does it look like for you? Can you think of generational wisdom that's been passed down? That sounds like kind of a lofty concept, but where does it show up in your life? Think of relationships where there's been learning, there's been growth, there's been healthy discussion. Maybe even a spiritual sense of a spiritual father or mother that's poured into you. And then your own biological family, if, if God's blessed you with an environment to have that kind of growth, where has that shown up? So for me, as, as I think about this, if, if you're a parent, there'll be a direct relation. If you're not, I realize you'll have to stretch a little bit to grab the context here. But as I think about this generational instruction, growing up in our family, it came up in front of us just a couple of weeks ago. It, it uh, was so obvious, and I just laugh. Here's, here's a photo of my son, Matthias. And yes, Matthias is holding a hatchet. So hold on, stay with me before I explain that. And so as I'm taking this picture of my son with a hatchet, about to hit the wood here, off in the distance you can't see, my wife calls out and goes, Nick, make sure you show him how to use it safely. You can just imagine that scene. So of course, I set down the camera, but I didn't go to Matthias first. I went first over to my wife and just gently held her shoulder and said, okay, picture with me, Johanna. Go back in your mind to when you were a little girl. What lesson of safety do you ever remember your dad passing on to you? <laughs> we just laughed and going, of course, like dads pass on a lot of stuff, maybe not a lot of safety things. But then for those of you that are concerned, yes, I then quickly went to Matthias and I reminded him how to safely use a hatchet. We don't let our kids just run around with knives, but they're learning safely, right? But as I think about my own dad that, shot, that taught me how to use a hatchet, I then pass on to my son. I, I think of my grandpa who is a photographer and I grew up going over to their house and I remember as a young boy being told, be careful, don't go in that room. That was grandpa's dark room. Different chemicals for developing the film. As I got older, grandpa passed on to me skill sets around photography. And I still have a, just a soft spot in my heart for photography and light and understanding that because, because of my grandpa. And in a similar way, my, my dad taught me tennis. And I think of tennis lessons growing up and not in a formal tennis lesson way, but it started when I was really young and dad would practice his serve and I'd stand on the other side. And initially the lesson was stand here, try not to get hit. <laughs> and so boom, the serve would go by. And then I would collect all the balls and run them back to dad. And I thought this was the best. Looking back, I was, I was a ball collector. <laughs> Good job, dad. But as I grew older, I loved and I wanted and I started to learn how to return. And pretty soon I could return dad's serves. And then dad showed me how to serve, throw the ball up and how do you hit it? Not just a first serve, but how do you get the spin on a second serve? And so there's this passing on of knowledge, of understanding. And it is also this generational, this generational moments of training that are so critical. Where, where has that shown up in your life? That's what the proverb is talking about here. The wisdom is external. Wisdom needs to be passed on generationally. We need to learn and grow. But it doesn't just start there. Go, keep going in Proverbs. Proverbs 
4, picking up in verse 5, look at the next section. Wisdom, as it's described here, is a lifelong pursuit. And see why I say that. Look at verse 5. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Don't forget or turn away from the words of my mouth. And it just goes on here and starts to continue to repeat verbs that have action and movement in them. Get is repeated four times, five times in here. It's a pursuit. It's worth going after, selling whatever you need and getting wisdom. Proverbs has this theme all over it of how wisdom is to be sought after, um, which is just at great lengths, above all else. Proverbs 23, 23 says a similar idea. Here's what it, that says. It says, buy and do not sell truth, wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Proverbs 23, 23. And you could, we could list and go through. You can look it up on your own and just see all of these different passages that speak to wisdom. Go after it. Whatever else you're pursuing, as this dad is speaking with this son, whatever else you're pursuing and going after, that pales in the comparison to the value of going after wisdom. And that's what this paragraph just starts to really push into us, that wisdom is, per, is we're to pursue and we're to have the attitude of an inquisitive heart. Do you remember those annoying two-year-olds, three-year-olds? Maybe it's been a while since you've been around one, but they have that, that sense of just why, 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 why? No matter what, they're asking questions. Their brains are simply just soaking up new information all the time to a spot that drives parents crazy, that frustrates older siblings, but it's just why, 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 why? But that is, that is fertile soil for growth, for wisdom to start to take root. Let us return to that sense of wonder and questioning to gain wisdom, because this is a pursuit. This is a lifelong journey. Don't get to a spot of, of arrogance at 15, 25, 35, and arrogance at 55, 75 that says, got it. No, stay hungry to learn, to pursue wisdom, a lifelong pursuit. Now the pursuit here is a love engagement. One is to get, to love, to embrace. It's an interesting choice of these verbs here. There's an intensity that can be seen from this repetition that's in this passage. And whatever he treasured, that was more precious than wisdom, put to the side and instead go after wisdom. And so what do we pursue with a passionate singular focus? What comes to mind when you think of a passionate singular focus of pursuit? So in order to find out, I went to the highly authoritative source, Google. I just Googled, what do people pursue passionately? So this is not scientific. This isn't, you know, a poll of our church. This is just Google. And there, when I Googled the results, I came up with several different interesting things. And of course, I just clicked on one that looked interesting with a headline. So who knows what you would find? But I found one that listed 16 top things people passionately pursue. Number one, pets. <laughs> I would not have guessed. In fact, we've got a, a rabbit, like a bunny. I don't know. See how good of a pet guy I am? We've got a rabbit in our backyard named Peter. Probably a little fluffy bunny. Very cute. The kids love it. Yay. Like, I'm not a pet guy. So if you are, I'm great. Love your pets. Good. You know, we feed the pet. We take care of the pet. Absolutely. We're just not pet people. But people are passionate about their animals. You see that. What else are people passionate about? I mean, on the list, I saw art. Art is on the list. There's people that are incredible artists that pour their whole life and passion into the art. And the way they can express themselves is beautiful. There's passion there. Learning. Have you met a lifelong learner? Like plenty of us are happy to graduate from school and then be done. 
And there's others that just seem to go on and on and on. Pastor Jesse and I were traveling recently and we're actually flying to uh, interview a teaching and campus pastor candidate. And as a part of that trip, we got on the flight and Jesse had just finished all of his schooling and it was a sense of 29 years of schooling done and what an accomplishment. And he's like, freedom, I'm not going to do any more learning. He sits, puts the earbuds in and he sitting next to Maury and they're binge watching a show together. He's like, I'm done learning. Well, the thing I laugh about is that's one way to tell this story, as he might share with you as well. But, but what happened is on the flight back, Jesse just can't stop learning. He went on to the, like, the educational channels. He clicked on Bitcoin, and suddenly he's just this expert on Bitcoin and blockchain and all these other things. Got off the flight and was like, Nick, did you know? And just kept, the guy just can't stop it. He's a lifelong learner. <laughs> like, praise God. But you know people like that? They would just keep getting degrees and going back and back. They're just, it's insatiable. Yeah, praise God. There's, there's other things that people get passionate about. Health. Have you seen people passionate about health and physical and working out? And, you know, I'm all for being healthy and eating right. But at some point, woo, kind of go extreme. Uh, career. People want to be passionate about what they do. Some people, it's just clocking in and out. But you see others. They go for it in the career. We have to be cautious. We see it consume them into a spot of workaholism. It's just too much. Relationships. We throw so much into relationships. There's passion there. Teaching. You know, teachers call it oftentimes more of a calling or a passion than just a job. And especially right now, I'm, I'm grateful. If you're, a, if you're a teacher, thank you. Man, the creativity you've had to lean into in this climate and season and trying to do remote learning. My daughter this week will finish up school uh, as in finishing, what is it? Yeah, third grade. She's finishing third grade. Wow, man, I'm getting old. Pray, but praise God. Praise God for her teachers that have tried to figure out how to navigate online and all these different complicated things. So thank you for your passion in teaching. Finally, at the bottom of the list, there's like faith. So at least that got on the Google list, faith. But what things are we singularly passionate about? I mean, look around the world around us. Are you passionate about racial reconciliation? Are you having conversations that maybe you've avoided in the past? Have you put yourself in uncomfortable spots to learn and listen? Good. We need that. That passion to lean into that right now is needed now more than ever. But what do you pursue with a singular passionate focus? What do you pursue? Golf swing? Come on, let's go, let's go a little farther than that. And this passage moves wisdom into the place of focus. So there's lots of things we can be passionate about, but this passage in Proverbs says, let wisdom be in that spot of passionate pursuit. And as followers of Jesus, we will be marked by pursuit of wisdom. In the New Testament, James picks up on this theme in his letter, and he says we can ask God for wisdom and he will give it to us. Praise God, we need it in this complicated world that we live in. Now, I don't want, I don't want to believe that it's accidental that wisdom simply personified as a woman. In fact, I think it was incredibly intentional that the author does that here. And there are interesting cultural reasons at the time that the author would have done that. There are also some textual cues that'll connect in the coming weeks of why woman, why that wisdom is personified as a woman. And in fact, in the coming weeks, Pastor Jesse will dive directly into that theme and expand on it more. But I think what's important right now is for us to briefly touch on this theme because I see clearly a father that is passing on generational wisdom to his son and it makes sense for him to say it this way. I mean, think about it. 
this dad that's passing on to the son personifies wisdom as a woman. What is a passionate singular focus of many young maturing men? Cars? <laughs> uh, no, come on, deeper. Women. And that's not, that's not all bad. That's a beautiful, biblically affirmed pursuit that we would pursue a woman in a way that would cause us to go, would you marry me? That pursuit is active and intense and it's good. Now, culturally, we see far too many examples of where this is unhealthy, but picture the healthy biblical model that's, that's, being, that's taking place here. It's a wise father passing on generational wisdom from his dad to his son. That son is active, possibly handsome, passionate, wanting to pursue things, make a difference, spread his wings. And so the advice from this dad to this young man is pursue wisdom like you would pursue your future spouse. That just sinks deeply. And in a poetic way, wisdom is pursued. And then at times in Proverbs, it's personified as a woman and actually used to describe a wife. But at other times, that imagery is left for us just to stay vague in the pursuit of wisdom above all else. And so that's what this looks like right here. I know what that looks like in my life. I made a lot of effort pursuing Johanna. <laughs> Often tried times I tried to be cool, but underneath I just sweating. I had late nights staying up to try to plan the right dates, the right way to do things. And there were, there were just lots of things that just went wrong or other things that may have gone wrong that I tried to fix and all that complication games in your mind you're trying to play. But it came most clearly to me in, in one specific example. I can't dance. Like even standing right here, I'm just thinking about how would I show you kind of a dance? No, I'll spare you. <laughs> I'm going to blame it on genetics. My dad white guy, can't dance, can't jump, like, oh my goodness, as I look at him and seeing him move at times, I go, it just, it just doesn't run in our family. <laughs> like, not at all. There's no genetics here that cause any kind of fluid movement. It's just awkwardness. But I happen to pursue Johanna, dating her, who she grew up, having mastered several styles of dance, having taught at a high level dance, going, oh no, how, how am I going to try to step in and engage with this. So I thought, hey, I got an idea. I'll, how about we do swing dance lessons? She's never done swing dance. I've never danced at all. So I signed us up for dance. And so we went and we went to this Seattle nice restaurant. And then from there we jumped in and we did the swing dancing. And oh my goodness, it was so terrible. I just, I tried and I, my hips went one way and then my arms like awkward and, and I'm trying to smile and cringe and, and I just, oh, even right now, I just feel weird and I'm not even doing anything. Johanna is so gracious. Like in a sense, she on the other end is, you know, as the one that's supposed to be following my lead is kind of like, nicely pushing me to the spot I'm supposed to be so it looks like I'm leading. And I, I step on her toes and we finish. And what does she do? She goes, Nick, thank you. We don't have to do that again. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, so why do we do those things? Because we're in pursuit and we want to. That's what it looks like when you're passionate about something, to go after it. And that, that is what we're to be pursuing. That same kind of energy as how we're to be pursuing wisdom. 
Does that give you a sense of the importance of pursuing wisdom? So my single friends, my high school, college age students, those who are dating or want to date, pursue wisdom with the same and even greater intensity that you would pursue a spouse. The kind of wisdom that is contained in scripture will just saturate our hearts and our souls. Let it sink deep into us. And so the wisdom becomes not just do I spend a little bit more time in a quiet time, but it becomes how does the spiritual disciplines become so a part of my life? It's changing who I am by the time I spend with it. So the way that I view the world and interact is totally different. We need to join with others in that. If that's you and you want to do that, man, don't, don't miss the opportunity even this week, Wednesday night. Sign up for our summer small groups, just one in June, one in July, one in August. Come to one, come to two, come to all three. Sit with us as we have spiritual friendship, have biblical discussion and conversation to challenge one another, take God's word and live it and learn how to, from that spot, lead in powerful ways with those around us. This is the transformation that takes place in our hearts. But look back at, look back at Proverbs 4, at some of the very specific language that's used in this pursuit. Look at verse 6. It says, don't abandon wisdom and she will watch over you. I love that. Don't abandon. You're on the right track. You're on the right track. It may not feel like you're making progress. You may feel like you stumbled. You may feel like you're making more mistakes than you've you've done things right. There's grace. Don't abandon this pursuit of wisdom. Don't abandon the following Jesus and let him transform your heart. Don't abandon wisdom. She will watch over you. Look at the next, love her and she will guard you. I love that. Love changes and love is beautifully exclusive. Look at verse seven. Wisdom is supreme. So get wisdom and whatever else you get, get understanding. Like if you hasn't sunk in yet, he's just going to say it one more time. This is a pursuit. Look at the next verse. Verse eight, cherish her and she will exalt you. I love that word cherish. Another translation uses the word hug. I mean, it feels funny to say, but like snuggle. Like it's treat as special. When you cherish, it just changes that attitude and that relationship. That's how it's described. Look at the next word. Embrace her and she will honor you. Hold close. Now wisdom, wisdom is the greatest possession anyone can have. And the young man should make winning her the primary goal of his life. That's what this passage moves us towards. And in the last verse of our section, we see that wisdom does not disappoint. Look at verse nine. She will place a garland of favor on your head. She will give you a crown of beauty. Now this term for crown, don't think like um, kingly or royal, but instead think honor or even the metaphor of a lover's general adornment. Wisdom doesn't disappoint the end. Now, these aren't the words that we naturally think of when we think of practical wisdom. Like I think, what helps me make a wise decision? Not embrace. I want a formula. Tell me what I should do. Like that's what we usually think about. But we know that life is not as simple as math equations. It doesn't work out like that. That is why wisdom is learned. That's why it takes time. And I remember my dad intentionally throwing out certain vinyls because although it was good music as he said the lyrics he didn't want running through his head and changing his heart 
Now that lesson that was said just on the way was just a brief moment in time that, that changed the way I think about music and listening to music. It stuck with me. It reminds me when I'm listening to great music, are the lyrics I'm letting sit in my head the kind of words I want to transform my heart? Now that's very different generationally passed on wisdom than if dad says, don't listen to that music. Because what does every 12-year-old want to do? Listen to that music. And it's not just 12-year-olds. It's 22-year-olds. It's 52-year-olds. None of us really like that kind of restriction. Maybe that's just me. But instead, discipleship, good parenting, on the journey together is explaining what God's doing in your own heart and involving others in that process. And so now, people will often ask me, do you listen to secular music or Christian music? My answer is I listen to good music because the question is just kind of setting you up for failure anyway on the front end. It's not what can I get away with, but rather what is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? And so if you look at my Spotify account, you're going to see all different random types of music. But if you dig a little bit deeper into it, you're going to realize, wow, he listens to a lot of worship music. And so for me, my answer to what is the wise thing to do in my life has landed me in a spot that I realize when it comes to music, I'm going to listen to lots of different genres and good music, but what I'm going to let sit in my heart and transform me, the lyrics are going to be worship music. That's what's wise for me. So what is, what is the wise thing to do? Ask yourself that. What is the wise thing to do? And wisdom does not disappoint. Following Jesus is a relational adventure, and the more time we spend walking in the Spirit, being transformed by reading His Word, the more we're navigated and we're prepared to navigate the world that's right in front of us. So how should I respond to my kids? What should I post on social media? What policy do we vote for? or against, or what candidate. Now, walking with Jesus, we read his word, we pursue wisdom, and we ask, what is the wise thing to do? Then again, we, we listen, we read scripture, we let it saturate our heart, and then we repeat, what is the wise thing to do? We pursue wisdom, as James says, pray and ask God for it in our pursuit and lifelong journey of wisdom. We await the day where finally, as Christ comes back, we're fully in the presence of wisdom realized, and everything we've been practicing in rehearsal now for becomes fully realized as Christ comes back. So now, ask, what is the wise thing to do? And Part of the challenge is whenever we try to make wise and healthy decisions and we don't see results fast enough, it can be easy to wrongly conclude that my small good decisions don't matter that much. But don't forget, the reverse is true as well. It's easy to wrongly conclude that our bad decisions, because they don't see consequence, aren't that big of a deal. That's also wrong. We must remember our lives are growth in wisdom. It's a lifelong pursuit that's a sum total of the small decisions we make. And Proverbs is written to continue to build into the followers of Jesus an ability to discern. It works because God created you and me. God loves you and I and desire, desires for us to live in ways that we were created to fully live alive in him. And so God so loved us, he not only gave us wisdom, but he also provided a solution to the sin and brokenness in the world that often rises up to mess things up in horrendously ugly ways. 
So please, do apply what we have discussed. But first and fundamentally, do you live fully committed to Jesus? In the words of the New Testament, have you believed the gospel, the good news? That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved from the sin that constantly causes shame and guilt and ultimately death. And my prayer for you is that you would give your whole life to Jesus. And on that foundation, then you would live, making the most use of the time, stepping in with wisdom to the complicated decisions in front of us. Because our world now more than ever needs followers of Jesus, pursuing wisdom, being saturated by scripture to speak into the issues in our culture around us that need not simple answers, but answers based fully in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Would you, would you pray with me? God, God, I, you are worthy of our full devotion. We lift your name high, God, above all others. We confess sin. Thank you. Thank you for grace on the other side. God, we need wisdom right now, even it feels like more than ever. We don't have all the answers inside of us, but we know you give wisdom, you give insight and clarity when they're asked for. And so we ask for that. Would you, would you be our desire? God, would our desire to be to passionately pursue you in a way that transforms our neighborhoods, our schools, our businesses, our communities, our churches, and the world around us because we see people like you do. Let us be bold in the hope we offer because we know that's the wisest thing we can do. And so thank you, our heavenly Father, who fills the void for those of us without healthy fathers. And then ultimately, God, ultimately, you are the one that the best dads simply point to anyway. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.